You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. And as you can hear from that music, we love everything creepy. Creepy includes paranormal and true crime. Yes. Join us every Monday to hear a true crime story told by Carrie and a paranormal story told by Donna. We are a whole lot of Southern, a little bit of raunch, and a whole lot of laughs. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever in the hell you get your podcasts. And remember, creep it real and and don't get scared. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 140 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy. Hi guys. We're excited to be here tonight. By the time you hear this, we will have already... Hopefully, made it through another tour of Waverly. <laughs> oh, Lord. Only one this year, though. Can't handle two. Oh, you're and not def- going to do the second I, tour? No, and I'm definitely not wearing dress shoes this time. Oh, well, yeah, duh. I wanted to look good for the peeps. Mm. So I'm sure they weren't even looking at your feet. Well, but I wore everything else was nice, too, so I had to wear dress shoes to go with the rest of the ensemble. Yeah. It's not like I wore, you know, T-shirt and a pair of, you know, shorts and mm-hmm. dress shoes. <laughs> that would have been awful. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First and foremost, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for what you do. Amen. God bless you all. We also want to mention that if you're having a tough time right now, if you're struggling with things, maybe some financial problems have you down, maybe you're having some family issues or relationship problems, uh, just remember that there are people who care about you and, uh, Never think that there aren't. You can talk to friends, family. You can talk to us. You can send us a message, give us a phone call, or you can talk to people in our group at uh, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. There's tons upon tons, 3,000 people. You said hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Okay, I was wrong. Mm. Just Hillbilly Horror Stories on <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> if you go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com, there would be nobody to talk to. Oh, that's it's true. It's just a website. <laughs> <laughs> but you can uh, go to our group on Facebook, Hillbilly Horror Stories, and there are over almost 3,000 people who are willing to talk to you at any point in time and will always lift your spirits no matter how you're feeling. That's so true. And if you would rather just talk to someone on a little more private basis, the suicide hotline here in the United States is 1-800-273-8255, and a text line is 741-741. All right. Had to wake Ninja up a little bit. He was snoring a little He's loud. already snoring already. I know it. You must bore him. No. I don't doubt that. <laughs> now he's just going to scoot farther away from me and start snoring loud. 
where I can't reach him when I'm nudging <laughs> with my foot. He's on to your stinky stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about the story. All right. We did a story about two years ago that had several examples of, of uh, people, mainly children, who have had past lives. Mm-hmm. Or at least memories of past lives. Of past lives, lives. uh-huh. And we probably gotten about 50 messages or emails, I would say, of people saying that that was their favorite episode and they wish we would do more on that topic. That was a good episode. It was. And for some reason, it took two years to get around to doing it again. Yeah, well, you don't want to beat a dead horse. So I thought it was time to revisit the, the topic again. And I feel like we have some really compelling examples for you on this episode. All righty. What I'm going to ask everybody to do is just keep an open mind on this one. Mm-hmm. What I was looking for when I was choosing these stories, and trust me, there are plenty of them out there, is I wanted to find the ones that just couldn't be chalked up to coincidence for several reasons. Okay. So I wanted to have a bunch of different uh, things within the story that was like, there's no way all this is a coincidence. Some are longer than others, so we'll start with one of the shorter ones. Okay. This is a story... Of Romy Crees. Romy was born in Des Moines, Iowa in 1977. And her parents were devout Catholics and they didn't believe in reincarnation of any sort. So you can imagine their shock and disbelief when their three-year-old daughter told them that she used to be Joe Williams. Now I want to point out, this is kind of a coincidence maybe, but almost every one of these stories we do tonight involve three-year-olds. Oh, and yeah. there's a doctor, we don't really talk about it a whole lot in the episode, but I've, I've read a bunch of stuff from doctors that said that as kids get older, their memories of past lives fade. But from about two years old to four to five years old in that range is when they're most um, vivid, I think, to the children. Wow, so maybe that's, that's interesting. Why. Yeah. So yeah, it was just, I just started writing these and looking and I'm like, three years old, three years old, three years old, almost yeah. three years old. So well, who's Joe Williams? Well... I'm going to tell you. She said that she was raised in a red brick house in Charles City, which was about 140 miles away. She said that she was married to Sheila and they had three kids. So Joe Williams was just mm-hmm. somebody. I mean, it's not anybody that was famous or anything. Okay. He's just, that was just the name that, that an she An ordinary told Joe. Who? An ordinary Joe. He's an ordinary Joe. Joe Williams. She said that Joe and Sheila were killed in a motorcycle accident, and she had graphic details about the accident. Oh, Lord. She went on to explain that she was scared of motorcycles, which her parents already knew, because of her reactions every time one would pass, but they just assumed it was because of the loud noise and being a little kid. She also started talking about incidents that happened in Joe's life. For example... She said that when Joe was little, he accidentally started a fire in the house, and his mom hurt her hand and her leg trying to put the fire out. Mm-hmm. Romy would often ask her parents to take her to Charles City so she could let her previous mother know that she was okay. What? So one day, the parents agreed. Romy told them to buy Mother Williams, because that's what she called her, by Mother Williams some blue flowers because they were her favorite. She also told them that they would need to go to the back door. Holy crap. So the family gets to Charles City, right? And they look in the phone book. Keep in mind, this was the 70s. Yeah. 70s. They look in the phone book and they find a Louise Williams. 
and they get an address. So Romy was able to tell them exactly how to get to the house. Three years old. They show up. They walk to the front door. And there's a note on the front door asking them to please come to the back. A woman opens the door. She's got a bandage on her leg. She was ecstatic to receive the flowers. And she said... She hadn't received any flowers since her son Joe had given her some years before. So Romy begins telling Louise about her past life as Joe, and as Louise was, Louise was able to confirm everything, including the fire in the house and how she hurt her hand. She asked, where did this girl get all of this info? I don't know anyone living in Des Moines. So she explained that Her and Joe did live in a red brick house, but that house had been destroyed by a tornado 10 years earlier. She confirmed Romy's statements about being married to Sheila and having three kids, and she was able to look through a photo album with Romy, and Romy was able to tell her the names of all the other relatives. That is insane. In the uh, photo book. She was also able to confirm their death on a motorcycle, as well as the details Romy gave about the crash. She was astonished at how Romy knew this and that the accident happened two years before Romy was born. Romy's mom and dad said that they did not know how to explain it, but they knew that their daughter wasn't lying. I mean, I can't even imagine what that lady must have been freaking out. I mean, can you? I can't even fathom that. I mean, how do you wrap your head around something like that? No idea. So that's why I like these stories. I think these stories are fascinating. That is bizarre. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I mean, that is crazy. So here's another little short one. Courtney Perosco from Louisiana. When Courtney was three years old, go figure, she was drawing at the kitchen table, and she just randomly said, I miss my grandma, Alice, so much. Well, her mom said, I'm not sure who you're referring to. She said, you've got two grandmas, and neither one of them is Alice. She said, oh, this was my grandma before you were my mom. She said, before I was Courtney. She said that her grandma and grandpa took her in after her parents were killed in an accident. Her grandma, Alice, died when she was 16 years old. Her mom said, well, I'm glad that you're with me now. Courtney said, I know. That's why Grandma Alice recommended that you be my new mom on earth. Three-year-old. Courtney said that in her previous life, she lived in the hills where the leaves fell off the trees before the wintertime. And she lived in Louisiana, so you know it's warm all the time down there. Mm -hmm. And that the winters there were very cold, not like Louisiana. They had no indoor toilet, and you would freeze when you went outside to go to the bathroom. How does she know about not having an indoor toilet at three years old? She said that when you first get to heaven, you get to rest for a while. Then you have to work at what you want to learn on your next life on earth. Then you choose a family that can help you with what you need and to help you learn. Her mother asked if she had met God, and she said 
she had only seen God with her soul. Her mom was shocked at how a three-year-old could know these things, especially since none of these things had ever been discussed in the family. Uh, I went on to read a little more about they weren't rel- they weren't really even religious people. So the fact that she was even talking about God and mm-hmm. souls and all that, that's why it hadn't been discussed. They weren't religious people. Mm. So that's how it really is, huh? You know, I do believe that's how it really is because a ninja believes that's how it is. What I was, you know, I've heard a couple of stories before and I asked, um, you know, when we had Kim Russo on the show, mm-hmm. I asked her about this. I've heard people before, especially when you talk about suicide, you know, and most Christians believe, especially the Catholic faith, that if you commit suicide, mm-hmm. you're automatically going to hell. All right. But there's a gentleman, and I, and I wish I remembered his name, but I heard him uh, on uh, Beyond the Darkness and, and, a, and I think Jim Harold's show. He was talking about he wrote a book, and he was a psychologist, and his brother had committed suicide years ago, like 20 years ago. And he says he talks to his brother on a regular basis, and his brother said something similar. When you go to heaven, you work on stuff just like you're in school. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in a classroom setting. And, um, you know, Kim Russo said she was under the impression that people who committed suicide, they just, it was frowned upon, mm-hmm. you know, in the afterlife, but they just took it as, well, you just got to work a little harder because obviously you had trouble handling things on earth. So you need to work harder here. So when you get back to earth, you're more equipped to handle situations. So, and that's what that gentleman said, uh, who said he talks to his brother all the time. And that's kind of what Kim Russo said she's heard from people. Um, but I've heard several different people say that, especially in a reincarnation sense, that they were in a classroom setting when they were out of here. So it wasn't like they just went to heaven and everything was great. They went to school and it was their choice whether they wanted to come back or not, which fits into what she was saying about, you know, you get to rest for a while. Um, but you So know, you get to choose if you want to come back? The gentleman... That I was talking about that said his brother commits suicide, he talks to. He said his brother told him, you can come back as a person. You can come back as like a butterfly. You can just be an energy that's nothing and exist for a while if that's what you want to do. So, I mean, Whoa. who knows how accurate that is, but this guy seemed to be pretty mm-hmm. accurate at, or, or convinced that that was yeah. the situation. Wow. So, Whoa. All right. This next one is on Panma Akanayeka. She's from Sri Lanka. This one is actually one of my favorites. So Panima would talk about her previous life from the moment she was able to start talking. She was adamant that she had lived a previous life. She saw a temple on TV, and it was in another part of town that she had never been to, and she recognized it and said that her parents lived near there. She told her mom that she had another mother and a father, and she works at the incense factory, but she died in a bus accident. She had two birthmarks and said that these were where the bus ran over her, causing her injuries. So one day, her mom was sad because someone was dying from injuries they sustained from a, a car accident. Panema tried to console her mom by saying, that she was killed in a similar accident, but had been brought back. 
A psychologist from Iceland got involved in this case at this point. He was able to track down the incense factory that Panema said that she worked at. He found out through the factory owner that his brother had died in a bus accident while being, um, he was at bringing back incense from the market. Mm-hmm. That was two years before Patima was born. The psychologist brought the little girl and her family to the town, which they had never been to before. Patima met the man who owned the factory, and she immediately knew him. He initially was freaked out, but she won him over when she was able to tell him many details about his life as well as his brother's life. She also, surprisingly enough, had extensive knowledge on how to make incense, a skill that she had never been exposed to. Oh, my gosh. The man was able to confirm that the birthmarks were, in fact, in the same place that his brother had been injured from the bus. And, you know, that's something we've talked about before on on last episode when it comes to especially the Hindu religion believe that if you have a birthmark, that is a sign from a previous life. No kidding. And, I mean, we've seen signs of that. There was the little three-year-old boy, again, who said he had been killed in a town that was miles away that he'd never been to, and he was able to take – he had two little birthmarks on his head. And he was able to take the doctor that was in town over to the the uh, next town over mm-hmm. where he said he lived, but he said he had been killed over there. Well, to come to find out, there was a man that had been missing for basically the whole time this kid had been bored. He'd been missing like four years, and this kid was three. <sighs> and he was able to take them right to where the body was buried, and they were able to dig it up, and there was the guy that had been missing, and he had that... Uh, his skull had been bashed in with an axe, and the axe was there. Oh, but that, But where his head was bashed in was where this kid's birthmark was. That is crazy. And he told him who the killer was and took him over there to the Oh, the I remember house. that. Yeah, he took him. It was his neighbor. They had gotten a fight or something. And But anyway, long and short of it was, you know, the guy ended up confessing, but this kid had a birthmark right where that was. That is crazy. And then you got the two little girls over in England that were hit by the car on oh, their way yeah. to church. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And they had birthmarks and... That were exactly the same, and we're going to discuss some other stories where the birthmarks come into play. This is so interesting. So here's the next one, speaking of birthmarks. This is the story of Kevin and Patrick Christensen. In 1987, Kevin Christensen was born to his parents in Michigan. And when Kevin was a year and a half old, he began to walk with a noticeable limp. He also had a small nodule on, on his scalp over his ear. Unfortunately, one day he fell and broke his leg. The doctors did some tests on him, and they did a biopsy on the nodule that was on his scalp. And like I said, it was right above his right ear. And it was discovered that Kevin had um, metastatic cancer. He started to have tumors grow in other parts of his body. One was on his eye, in the eye area, and it caused his eye to protrude and eventually resulted in him going blind in that eye. Wow, that's awful. They gave Kevin chemotherapy, which caused scars on his right hand and the right hand side of his neck. Mm-hmm. He eventually passed away from the cancer six months later. And that was three weeks after his second birthday. We're going to fast forward 12 years to March of 1991. 
Patrick Christensen was born to these same parents. Mm -hmm. Patrick had a birthmark that looked like a cut on the right side of his neck, exactly in the same location that Kevin's chemotherapy uh, scar was. And he also had a mark on his hand in the same place that Kevin's scar was. Get out. They weren't twins, though, right? They were 12 years apart. Oh, they were 12 years apart. Yeah, this was 12 years after the first baby uh, Okay, I get you. Oh, golly. He also had a nodule on his scalp just above his right ear. No way. He also had a cloudiness in his left eye that was diagnosed as um, corneal leucoma. That had to be a nightmare for the parents. And when Patrick started to walk, he started to develop a noticeable limp, just like Kevin did. So when Patrick was four and a half years old, he told his mom that he wanted to go back to their orange and brown house. That was the exact colors of a house that they lived in when Kevin was alive. Mm -hmm. Then he asked if she remembered him having surgery. She told him no, because he had never had any surgery. Patrick then pointed to the spot above his right ear. He said that he didn't remember the actual surgery because he was asleep. That, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, what would you do as a parent hearing that? I mean, that is messed up. It is. I mean, so in that situation, once again, the birthmarks. Mm Mm-hmm. But now you've got, like the other story we just talked about with the two little girls over in England. Yeah. This is a situation where years later, a child was born, which she believes is the reincarnation of her previous child. Mm-hmm. Like, but so, how cool is that, though? It is cool. I mean, like, what a miraculous gift. Yeah, like I said, the two little girls we talked about over in England, that was the exact same situation. They got hit by a car. And then, um, like I think, four or five years later, yeah, they got pregnant. Didn't yeah, they she? were twins, or they were not—they weren't twins. They were—they um, were a couple of years apart. Uh, but when they got pregnant, they had twins, and the twins had the same birthmarks as the other two girls. They started talking about toys that were put away that they had never even seen, asking for them, and and talking about this is where the car ran over us and. All kinds of strange stuff. But you can go back on the... We tell that, that complete story mm-hmm. on the first episode. But yeah. It's worth kind of mentioning back to. Mm-hmm. And it goes back... I think it's like episode 49 or something yeah. like that. So it's... Like I said, it's two years ago. Are right, you ready for this last one? The last one's a little bit longer story. Okay. I would guess that most of our listeners know the story of Anne Frank, or at least know who Anne Frank is. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, I'll just give you a little brief summary. Anne Frank died... In a concentration camp in Germany during World War II in 1945. Otto Frank was her dad. Uh, He and his family went into hiding from the Nazis in the attic of a building that he had his business in. So they were upstairs just kind of hiding out. And the Nazis invaded the Netherlands during this time. And they had been hiding in the attic for two years before they were discovered, arrested, and sent to the concentration camp because they were Jewish. Anne died when she was 15 years old, just weeks before the British troops freed everyone in the camp. Oh, man. 
and became famous because she kept a diary that was given to her father, who was the only surviving member of the family. He later had the diary of Anne Frank published. All right, so that's a very obviously undetailed version of this remarkable young lady. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I just want to make sure people who maybe hadn't heard of her at least had a little bit of background. We're going to go to 1954, nine years after Anne Frank passed away. Barbro Carlin was born to a Christian parents in Sweden. When Barbro was not quite three years old, here we go again, she told her parents that her name was not Barbro, but Anne Frank. Her parents had no clue who Anne Frank was. Keep in mind, she'd only been gone for nine years. The book had probably only been published for, you know, obviously less than nine years. And this was in Sweden, so the story hadn't traveled and wouldn't be taught in schools like it is pretty familiar now because everybody learns about that in school now. Barbara said she knew that her parents wanted her to call them Ma and Pa, but she knew that they were not her real parents. She even told her parents that her real parents would come and get her soon and take her to her real home. As she grew older, Barbara told her parents details of Anne Frank's life. They thought that she just had an overactive imagination, like most children. The problem was that Barbara also had nightmares as a child. In these nightmares, men in uniforms ran upstairs, kicked in the door of the family's attic hiding place. Her parents were so worried about these stories that they got a, uh, an evaluation by a psychiatrist. But by the, this time, Barbara had learned not to talk about certain things in front of people because of the way they reacted. And so these memories, she kind of kept to herself because she said that it made people around her tense when she talked about them. So when she went to the psychiatrist, she didn't mention any of these memories. So she kind of knew what she was doing. Oh, wow. Okay, Therefore, the psychiatrist determined that she was perfectly normal. When Barbara was seven or eight years old in elementary school, she became very confused when her teacher started talking about Anne Frank in class. <laughs> how weird is that? She thought, how can this teacher know all of this about me? She started to realize that Anne Frank was a famous person. She thought, how can that be? She starts having spontaneous memories of a past life, and there's no one to talk to and no one to help her with her confusion or her nightmares. Oh, wow. Since childhood, Barbara had an unusual fear of men in uniform. Even as an adult, she would get horrible anxiety as she was pulled over for so much as a park, uh, parking or traffic violation. She also would not eat beans. That comes into play because... Is that what they ate on when they were stuck in the yep, attic? When the family was up there for two years, they pretty much lived off of beans. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. How in the world did they survive? I mean... They- well, I mean, I'm sure they were. They, he left and was able to do stuff, but it was very risky. Oh, know? okay. She also would only take baths, no showers. And that's, if you know the story, that's for obvious reasons. In the concentration camps, they would tell them they're going to take them for showers and take them into these giant shower rooms. But instead of water, there would be gas that came out of the shower heads. Mm. And they would just gas so many people at 
one time. Mm. When Barbara was 10 years old, her family took her on a tour of major cities in Europe, and Amsterdam was one of them, which obviously is the home of Anne Frank. By the time she was 10 years old, the diary of Anne Frank had been published in Sweden, so her parents wanted to take her to Anne Frank's house. So they're at the hotel. Dad picks up the phone, call a taxi, so they could take him over there. Barbara says, we don't need one. It's close. We can walk there from here. So she was certain, so certain that her parents just said, okay, and we'll follow you. You lead the way. They start walking. She tells her parents after a little bit, we're almost there. It's just around this next corner. Amazingly, after a 10-minute walk through the twisty streets of the city, they were standing right in front of the Anne Frank house, which was now a museum. Her parents just looked at each other, speechless. Barbara said, well, that's strange. They were standing in, in front of the front steps of the house, and she says, it didn't look like this before. So they go inside, go up this long, narrow staircase. Barbara had been all happy-go-lucky at this point. Mm -hmm. She's thrilled to be there. Now, though, she went pale. She broke into a cold sweat and reached for her mother's hand. Her mom was horrified to feel that when Barbara's hand was ice cold as she clutched it. They went into the hiding place in the attic and she had a panic attack. Oh, my gosh. Poor Bar thing. Barbara looked at a wall that she was standing in front of. She said, look, the pictures of the film stars are still there. These were pictures that Anne had clipped out from magazines and taped to the wall, and this made her very happy. Oh, my God, they were still hanging there? Well, <laughs> her mom was confused because she was standing and staring at a blank wall. Oh. So she asked Barbara, what pictures? Barbara looked again and saw that the wall was actually blank. Her mom asked one of the tour guides if there were ever pictures on the wall. He said, oh, yes. They had only just taken them down temporarily to be mounted under glass so that they wouldn't be destroyed or stolen. <laughs> Her mom also asked, did they change the stairway in front of the house to which he stated... Yes, they have changed the stairway. So she was right on that, too. Her mom had no clue what to say. She said, how in the world can you find your way here without a map and insist that the steps were different and then see the pictures on the wall that weren't there? Her mom was full of questions, but Barbara had no answers other than, this is where I lived. And at this point, she just wanted to get out of there. Her legs felt like jelly as she went back down the stairs. Tears ran uncontrollably down her face, and when she reached the bottom of the steps, she collapsed. Her parents were convinced at the end of this trip that she was, in fact, Anne Frank. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that is amazing. So there you go. That's the stories that I have for you this week. That was good, honey. We'll probably have to do another one because I literally could have put another. I would love to hear some more. Yeah. So. Wow, that's such amazing. That oh, gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe in a lot of those cases, but man. I mean, I mean, it has to be right. They can't pinpoint. I mean, 
three-year-olds just don't make that stuff up. How could you? And the most famous um, story with the most evidence of reincarnation is actually a gentleman that was, he went to like a battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like around, it's a Civil War battlefield. I don't know if it was Gettysburg or not, but it, it turns out he started seeing these, you know, and, and feeling this and seeing this and all these different uh, emotions. And it turns out he thinks he's, he's the reincarnation of a general and during the Civil War. And he's got all the same uh, marks. He's got, he looks like the guy, everything, as he started researching all of it. But that'll be one we, we do for the next one. I almost put it on this one. but mm-hmm. So. I wonder, as a kid, how you feel about things like that, to, to, to know that. I guess it's, you're probably so naive to the world that you don't even think about it. I mean, I guess being that young, you might not think about that. So the question is, do you believe in reincarnation? I mean, I, I feel like I've always believed in it. But when you hear things like you just told, I mean, how can you not believe in it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think when I talked to Jim Harold one time on his show, he asked, if doing the show had changed my opinions of anything. And mm-hmm. I, I, that was one of the things I brought up is mm-hmm. I didn't really know for sure. didn't really, you know, who knows, you know, people say this, people that. But when you start seeing so many stories of people that, like I said, some of these can't be coincidences. Well, no. And, I mean, if it was somebody older saying it, you may have a tendency to doubt that because, mm-hmm. you know, you could research all that crap. But when you're three years old. Especially in the time before the Internet. Yeah. Like I mean, some of these how cases. is that even possible? I mean, there has to be truth to it. There has to be. And it's amazing. It is amazing. (sighs) I don't even know what to say. It's just crazy. You never know what to say. I know, but it's just, it's (laughs) mind-boggling. It's a boggle of the mind, (laughs) I might say. Let's, um, real quick, let's do our new Patreon of the week, because it's Ian McAlpin. Thank you, Ian. We appreciate you so much, honey. We do appreciate that. Ian is super nice. Ian tried to send us a bunch of money, and I sent it back to him because I didn't feel obligated to take that. Aww. I, I, I talked to him. I okay. told him, I told him that you know we helped him out a little bit. He's starting a podcast. That's awesome. We gave him some information, and Good. and then um, he sent us a little nice little chunk of change, to which I told him we appreciate it, but Aww. we couldn't. Except that we were more than happy to help. Of course. For free of charge. Well, good luck, Ian. I know you're going to do great. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Awesome. So we were on, uh, we had the, the article that came out last week on, on um, the lineup, which mm-hmm. was a big deal for us. And we appreciate everybody who read it mm-hmm. and uh, the nice comments on it. One of the things that I wanted to do for the lineup is tell you about something they got. And they sent us a creepy crate. You remember when we got that? Oh, Yeah. And what, so awesome. What Creepy Crate is, it's a monthly subscription that you get. So you sign up for it. You can unsubscribe at any time. But every month they send you like, like we got, it had a book. It had a couple of wine glasses. It mm-hmm. had a t-shirt. It had a bunch of different stuff in there. And they send you all this stuff once a month. And I told them that we would tell you guys about it. And they even gave us a discount code. So what you want to do is go just Google Creepy Crate. And it'll come up. You can't mm-hmm. miss it. Mm-hmm. If you go in and order it and you put in the discount code HILLBILLY, they're going to give you $5 off. Nice. So 
give it a shot. And like I said, we we loved ours. We uh, oh yeah, it was it was fun to get into that box for sure. Yeah, that was. Uh, I can't remember everything that was in it. There was a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah. Though. So. And it's hillbilly, all capital letters. Yeah, I don't know if that matters or not, but oh, it may not. It, it was they they gave it to us in all capital letters. Oh, gotcha. So better safe than sorry. If you get five dollars off, you know it worked. If you didn't, it probably didn't work. <laughs> So uh, let's touch on a couple of quick things before we get out of here. Live shows. Louisville, which was yesterday, sold out. Two Houston shows, sold out. Next show is Bobby Mackey's, sold out. You guys are freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's time to start talking about the next couple. The next couple is Mysterious Circumstances, Us and Brohio in Indianapolis. That is in, is that June or July? It's in June. June. It's near the end of June. That's the next one. And then right after that, August, the Sally House <laughs> with Mysterious Circumstances. I know. Those things, now that we're over uh, these first four shows, we'll be talking about them a lot more. And trust me, they will sell out because they're already a third of the way sold out. Mm-hmm. And they're months away. Yeah, you guys amaze us every day, honestly. We appreciate you so much. And we can't wait to meet all of you. But some of these we get a lot more room for. Like Louisville was um, hundred seats. The Houston shows were hundred seats. But Sally House and Indianapolis are both sixty seats apiece. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those where you you know like so not harping just you know we we've already had people writing us today with Louisville saying oh man I put off buying my tickets. It's probably not a good idea to put them off if you if you've got the extra money and you could do it and. Um, just don't procrastinate on them because as we get a little bit closer, these things will start selling at a lot quicker pace. Yeah. So, and then don't forget in August, we've got our three-year birthday show yep. here in Lexington, Kentucky. The only show we've ever done in Lexington, our hometown. <laughs> yeah. And Tony Bruschi will be here from the Graveyard Talks and Real Ghost Stories Online. Yeah, we're excited about that yeah, for sure. It's going to be a fun night. Tony's an awesome guy. So, and the newest one, I, I, th- I don't know if we mentioned this last week or not. I don't think we did. I can't remember if because I did Because I don't think we were. Maybe not. Yeah. We set up another show for Indianapolis in September. It's September 14th. Mm-hmm. And it is with Shane from Out of the Shadows Podcast. Yes. And we love Shane. Yeah, so. we do love Shane. He's awesome. And Shane has done so much out there with the uh, redheaded murders case. He's been able to help identify two or three of the victims. It's, who's that is. 30-some-year-old cold case. Yeah. And he's been able to help do that and that is, you know that is wonderful um he was you know involved in in the original the keepers deal mm-hmm. that ended up being in the next netflix thing and i mean it's he's just phenomenal he is and i know the families love him and appreciate him so much for all his hard work yeah so we love you shane we do love you and yeah. shane's like six seven yeah he's huge yeah big old beautiful dimples you just want to sit in them <laughs> and very funny he's oh funny yeah as hell. and it's, he's a sweetheart for sure so and we've already sold a couple of tickets for that yeah. it's in september it just blows my mind <laughs> but i guess we bought tickets for a concert in september so well we did i guess theoretically we are just feeling very blessed absolutely for sure. we, we love you guys so much and we will talk to you soon love you guys <laughs>